Chapter 10 of The Secret of the Sahara Kufara by Rosita Forbes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10 Feasts in the Holy Place. January 13th, therefore, should have seen the successful termination of our long journey, instead of which it saw us prisoners in earnest until a furiously ridden white donkey appeared on the horizon amidst a whirl of tarbouche tassels rifle and long legs ending in bright yellow slippers each swinging wildly at different angles all this because abdullah overreached himself in order to make our destruction certain he went to the kaimakam at jaff and warned him that we were two christians from italy disguised as moslems and that we were learning all about the country in order to conquer it later on it is impossible said that official loyally they have letters from the sayeds what is writing said abdullah they have cheated the sayeds i tell you ever since they left they have been secretly making maps they had watches on the feet of the camels and the set held a watch in her hand all the time my compass they hang a strange thing on their tent a weapon to kill us if we come near the barometer and they have spectacles which make the country look big while it is far away. He drew such lurid pictures of our nefarious designs that the Kaimakan was determined at all costs to protect his beloved Sayeds from the consequences of their mistake. They must not leave Hawari, he said firmly. In a few days they must go back. The honor of our princes will thus be saved. Abdullah agreed warmly, believing that in a few days what was left of us would hardly be worth sending back. Then the blow fell. You must take an order at once to Yusuf and Mohammed Quemish. In vain the guide protested, pleaded, argued. The Kaimakan was firm. It was then the afternoon and there was plenty of time to reach Hawari before night. The energetic official hustled Abdullah out of town, and the plotter saw his neat little plan for our destruction in jeopardy. He knew that Mohammed was intelligent, and that Yusuf was known to many people in Kufara. Both were loyal. Therefore, unless we were killed fairly quickly, in the general inquiry his own perfidy would come to light. He had meant to ensure that we were not immediately invited to Joff. He had no desire to return to us, even with an order for our detention, for though it might make things uncomfortable for us temporarily, in the long run, he was bound to suffer. Therefore, he spent the night in the mountains and only arrived at our camp at nine o'clock, hoping that by this time we should have come to blows with the Zuyas, for he had particularly instructed Yusuf to start off with the caravan at dawn. I do not know which was more aghast at seeing the other, Abdullah or I. At that moment, of course, I knew nothing of his work at Kufara. I only felt that we had jumped to wrong conclusions the preceding day, and when, with restless eyes downcast, he murmured that we could not leave Hawari yet, as they were preparing a house for us in Jav, which would not be ready for several days, but that the slave girls were to go on at once, I felt that something was seriously wrong. He tried to avoid presenting the note to Yusuf and Mohammed in front of me, but I would not leave him, so the paper, which was presumably meant to be private, was read before me. It ran, You will see that you do not stir from Hawari until you receive further orders. Abdullah murmured something incoherent about going to the village, 
and the remark galvanized me into action once the zuias knew of that message we should be prisoners it therefore behooved us to send someone reliable to todd's to find out what had happened before the suspicious tribesmen set the guard around our camp mohammed was the only possible person and he loathed the idea for had he not the written order of the sayed's wakil that he was not to move however he yielded to persuasion perhaps the long miles trudged side by side through hot sands under a hotter sun the precious water shared the jokes over our aching feet the first cold nights when we had divided our blankets and coats above all the day we had torn up the baggage saddles together and distributed the straw to our starving animals with little hope that we could ever provide them with another meal all bore fruit wallahi he swore i shall discover the truth abdullah almost lost his self-control he burst into the tent with the cowardly abdul rahim while hassanine was penning a tactful letter to the kaimakan angry protests flowed from his lips he threatened to fetch the zuias the little commandant stuttered feeble futilities mohammed wavered at that moment i saw the dream of so many scorching days and weary nights fading like the mirage of noon the object i had striven for labored for for which i had studied arabic during gay london summers for which i had plotted in cyrenaica for which i had pored over route maps and charts from khartoum to tripoli for which i had waded through ponderous tomes from ptolemy to baim and duvirir balanced trembling in the scale of this man's mind every nerve and sinew still aching from our almost intolerable journey spoke of the strenuous effort made surely this must weigh heavier than abdullah's guile it did somehow the dark-faced guide the cringing commandant ceased to exist hassanine called for a donkey for our messenger and he pushed the cleverly worded letter into his wallet then for a moment mohammed and i were face to face and i looked straight into his keen boyish eyes wringing his hand with a few words of intense confidence and knew instantly that he would not could not fail us thereafter it did not matter that we could not leave the camp that abdullah's face was thunderous that the soldiers hid in their tents with the exception of the large faithful farage who offered me pathetic little gifts every hour to cheer me up raw onions parsnips and dry-cut grass which makes a kind of liquid spinach i had to pretend to be ill and lie on my bed all day behind the harem curtain to escape the distrustful suias who peered into the tent every two or three minutes to see that we had not escaped it was a distinctly trying time for angry councils were held at intervals outside the camp but we were not invited to attend them and the friendly tibus were absent though once a bronze maiden with wide brown eyes a cheery smile and a large white peanut stuck in the hole of her nostril crept to my guarded quarters and offered me four eggs with many kindly kif halak in the sunset came mohammed smiling triumphant breathless having ridden twenty kilometers to taj over a strange country he had never seen before without track or guiding mark argued with a justly suspicious kaimakan anxious to defend the prestige of his princes convinced him of our good faith 
learned the whole story of abdullah's treachery remounted his white donkey and plodded back over the rough sands to our rescue all in eight hours certainly mohammed justified that day my long-established faith in the bedouin race and their future he brought a letter of enthusiastic welcome to their excellencies the honored guests of the sayeds asking them to proceed to kufara on the morrow and to bring blessings and honor to the town by their presence therein the mentality of libya is as changeable as its barometer that night the men who had wished to kill us a few hours before sat amiably around our campfire and actually told us of their own accord the stories that had preceded our coming they varied extremely for whereas most of them put us down as the heralds of a conquering army one said that we were cousins of rolfs who had come to make inquiries as to his treatment i remember that nasrani well said old zarug he came with a zuya caravan how many other nasrani were with him we asked remembering the busima tale that on his return at least the german was alone there were none he came alone with his big horse and a cook called ali the sheikh was quite definite on this point he told us that mustafa bey had gone to hawawiri to avoid the larger village and then skirting to the east of the kufara dunes and hills had camped outside boema where he was promptly made a prisoner january fourteenth produced about the most unpleasant specimen of desert climate the sun no doubt was hot but a cold strong wind blew from the east raising clouds of sand and making progress difficult nevertheless we sent the caravan direct to kufara and ourselves started for hawawiri the zuias meekly allowed us to go anywhere we liked but they did suggest that perhaps we were tiring ourselves unnecessarily for there were only three houses in the farther oasis as all the palms were owned by people in Jaff and Boema. However, we felt we had to visit the place as a lesson to the soldiers, who had refused to accompany us the previous day. Therefore, muffled to the eyes in the thickest blankets and jirds we could find, astride two minute, barebacked donkeys, we plunged into the east wind and labored down the whole length of the narrow Awari oasis the village of our captivity proved to be unexpectedly large for more houses were scattered continually along the strip of palms when we asked the number of inhabitants the only reply was the one word which denotes any form of size long big great powerful plenty numerous etc wajid but i imagine that there must be a population of two hundred or more there was a gap between the palms of Hawari and those of its little companion, which was only a few square kilometers in size, and whose three houses were surrounded by a few huge fig trees. The figs were nearly all small and hard, but the villainous-looking Zuya, brown-haired and green-eyed, with very low brow and narrow skull who accompanied us, knocked down a few little purple ones from the top they were very good and comforted us for the awful wind which froze us even at midday as we tramped over the stony gerds that lie on the way to kufara the red sand continued mixed with more and more patches of black stones while little rocky ridges rose into low dark hills or big mounds increasing in size after hawari was lost to sight beside her vermilion gerds 
each time that we mounted a faint ridge and saw black hills in front of us we said those are the last behind those is the secret of the desert a dozen times we were disappointed as a further waste of stones and rock obscured our vision finally when from quite a high hillock we saw nothing but mounds and low hills where the boulders had almost conquered the red sands we began to wonder if kufara were a huge joke by which the african mind retaliated on european curiosity by every map the oasis is a solid flat block of green just beyond the gara of hawari and we had already walked thirty-five kilometers at least beyond that imposing cliff and apparently could see half as far again in front with not a sign of a palm look the sand begins on the horizon i said it is much paler and there are more hills if kufara is beyond those i shall give up and send home for an aeroplane answered my companion firmly thereafter we covered our faces in our jurds and struggled on blindly so that the sahara gave us her secret suddenly and when we saw one of the most wonderful views in the world spread almost at our feet we first blinked and rubbed our eyes to see if we were asleep and then cursed ourselves as fools for not having guessed that the explanation of the victory was a wadi for this reason one almost falls over the edge of the last black cliff into the soft pale sand of the oasis before one realizes it is there they say anticipation is better than realization they say that success is tasteless and that it is only the fight which thrills but i am not ashamed to confess my excitement when a whole new world seemed to be revealed to me to the east where the cliffs ran out a little the sacrosanct village of taj perched clear-cut against the sky high above the oasis it guarded the massive block of the zawiya rose above the group of strong dark houses square solid all built of blocks of black stone with red sand mortar the endless blind walls gave way no secrets but here and there within the courts rose the triple arched porches of some big dwelling and already there were blotches of white that told of watchers for our arrival this is the holy place of the senussi where are the houses of the sayeds and the blessed cuba of sidi el mahdi with clustering colleges and mosques all looking like grim fortresses for taj boasts no blade of grass nor speck of green to relieve the monotony of black rock and red sand below it east and west runs a wide flat wadi its pale faintly pink sands broken by a great mass of palms and green gardens acacias figs and feathery bushes all surrounding a curly vividly blue lake this to the west while eastwards beyond the guardian sanctuary on the cliffs are more dotted palms and then a broad splash of emerald round another lake while the whole enchanted valley is encircled with low amethyst hills or girds scattered here and there upon the rose petal sand are villages whose strong dark walls looked as if fortified against more formidable weapons than the peering eyes frustrated by their windowless secrecy joff lies in front by the side of the greenest gardens east of the first blue salt lake beyond it zuruk is hidden amidst her palms tolab and tolib are too far away to be visible for they lie at the western end of the oasis where emerald and coral blew together at the foot of the strange purple hills to the east is buma 
on the way to the second lake with a smaller village boema close beside and beyond again more palms till the pale sands rise to the dusky cliffs that shut in the secret oasis from the south we gazed and gazed as if afraid the whole glorious view might fade before our sunburned eyes and leave us lost in the desolate dark waste that lay behind us then suddenly we felt how very ill and tired we all were for the one well at hawari to which our suspiciously guarded followers were allowed access contained very bad water and we were all suffering strange pangs wallahi said mohammed it is beautiful and i am grateful but now i want to sleep and he wound himself up in his jurd and flung himself down on the nearest patch of sand i followed suit with a blanket over my head and one by one the foremost of the retinue sank down beside me so that when the lingering caravan caught us up it had to wake half a dozen exhausted explorers before we could make a dignified entry into the holy place abdullah came out to meet us for he had taken zainab and hawa the previous night to sayed rita's house as it was not meet that the personal slaves of the sayed should be looked upon by the people he tried one last shot when he saw me riding a camel get down get down karajar he shouted loudly so that the interested group of loafers might hear you cannot ride into this holy place we were still nearly half a mile from the nearest house so we ignored him but when we came to the last hillock we dismounted i covering my face completely and with the army of nine in battle array behind us we marched towards a very dignified group who came forward to greet us except for the sayeds themselves and the aquan i had met for a moment at jedabiah i had so far talked only with merchants and government officials a few sheiks of the smaller zawiyas and the bedouins now we were meeting with the great man of the senussi important aquan shrewd statesmen as well as religious chiefs they welcomed us with grave calm dignity the unconscious simple dignity that the west can never learn of the east for rank in the former is a ladder up which all men may climb but in the latter it is a tableland apart it is such a remote world so utterly unattainable by those who do not inherit it that the sheikh may safely invite the camel driver to foddle with him or the equan unbend to the bread seller men talk of the democracy of the east because there appears to be but one distinction the freeborn from the slave yet even the black sudani girl may be the mother of Amadi. there is no shadow of democracy in the untainted east there is only heredity a man lives by the glory of his father and his father's father and when he may not take pride in them it is to the glory of his tribe he clings with the grave massy figures in spotless white jirds under which gleamed the richest colorings orange red and purple in splendid embroidered jellabias we entered the first big house on the edge of the cliff it was the dwelling of sidi idris so a great honor was done us along one side of the big central court ran one of the high arched loggias we had seen from the hill and this opened into an equally long room immensely high thickly carpeted its white plaster walls decorated with texts from the koran and small regular alcoves wherein were unglazed windows protected by green shutters over which hung immense glass balls like those we put on christmas trees 
the ceiling was covered with gay chintz and a row of huge ornate lamps with more pendant green and blue balls hung from it we found ourselves seated in a circle facing the open door with four of the revered equan in the place of honor was said sala el bascari a cousin of sidi al abid his wakil and the acting Khan of kufara in daffodil yellow and black with purple lining to his wide sleeves he had a broad intelligent brow and dimples in his bronzed red cheeks a long drooping black mustache above firm-lipped mouth and a tiny thin beard his eyes were kind and his smile frank but he was the typical eastern statesman of few bland words to hide much thought next to him sat Sayed abdil rahman buzatina a small man with a broad gray beard and dark reflective face level brows and fine-cut nostrils he might be a philosopher a divine then came the mighty mohammed bufadil brother of the absent kaimakan enormous of person in pale saffron yellow with a primrose kufia wound round and round his head above the turban so that much of his plump shining face with wide-lipped smile and humorous eyes was hidden in its folds the fourth was a very old man long and lean with pointed trailing beard shrunk hollow cheeks parchment colored as his robes but something of the seer burned in his still vital eyes he said osman the judge had known the wonders of sidi el mahdi and the passionate faith which makes martyrs was in him the little council read and re-read our letters and expressed calmly and graciously their satisfaction then the subject of our detention in Hawari came up, and with it smiles. You did not choose your messenger well, they said. Had you heard the stories of Abdullah, you would have sympathized with our hesitation. We did not like that talk ourselves. However, we will now relieve you of him. The tone was decided. We wondered what would happen to Abdullah. Justice is tactfully slow in the East, but when it comes, it is final immediately after our visitors had left while we were putting up gaily painted canvas partitions in the long room black slaves appeared bearing a banquet in many blue bowls on an immense brass tray this was placed on a vermilion cloth on the floor and beside it we sat cross-legged dipping our fingers first into one dish and then into another this is the real joy of kufara said hassanine voraciously devouring most of a lamb cooked in mulakia a sort of thin spinach sauce i was silent from pure joy and a wonderful vegetable which i discovered at the bottom of one of the messes of thick buttery gravy and meat i hoped hassanine did not know it was there so i encouraged him to continue with the pseudo spinach but he pounced upon it suddenly Bamia, we have it in egypt he exclaimed and thereafter it was a race there is practically no sugar in kufara it costs three medjides an oak so there were no sweets to our banquet but a great brass bowl and a long-necked ewer were brought for us to wash hands and mouth in and as we shook the five weeks conglomeration of sand from our flea bags we were blissfully happy i feel that one should not acknowledge it but certainly january fifteenth stands out in my mind as a day of food i have described so many fasts that i remember feeling an intense pleasure in writing my diary that night 
while Hassanine concocted warm letters of thanks to be sent back to Sidi Idris and Sayed Rita by a northbound caravan. I had scarcely woken up and blinked at the unfamiliar sight of a red and blue carpet when Sayed Mohammed el Jadawi, who had come from Jeddah some forty years ago, a follower of the sainted Mahdi, and was now wakil of Sidi Idris and Sayed Rita, appeared with an offering of a bowl of sour-curdled milk and a palm-leaf platter of marvelous stoneless dates, huge, soft, clean, golden things which melted in one's mouth such as Europe has never known. We were warned that at 9 a.m. there would be a banquet for the whole party in the house of Sayed Salah, so we arrayed ourselves in our cleanest garments, not a very imposing spectacle, for I had to wear a jurd belted with a scarlet hezem, as my only barakan had served forty days without washing. Slaves came to show us the way, and we followed these cheery black personages through a winding sandy path between high walls, across a wide space before the massed buildings of the Zawiya with a high square block of Sayyid Ahmed Sharif's house. I began to see that there were few houses in Taj, but all of them were large, intricate buildings with a maze of courts and passages. As a matter of fact, in the holy place, beside the clustered houses of the Sayyids, which occupy about a third of the town, and the many dependencies of the Zawiya, only the important Ekwan live. Therefore, one saw but two classes of people among its dark walls. Many slaves in stripes of bright color were imposing and generally portly figures in immaculate white turbans and silk jirds over straight tobes or jellabias in all imaginable colors. I noticed one delightful and massive old man in a garment the color of blood oranges with what looked like a white shawl bordered with vermilion round his shoulders, but it was difficult to see clearly through the one tiny little chink I allowed myself in my thick white draperies. In the desert, I had been as careless of my veil as my namesake Karijah, Mohammed's first wife, a lady of forceful character, in whose service the prophet took a caravan to Syria before he espoused its owner some twenty years older than himself. In Kufara, however, the greatest care was necessary, and I had to learn to endure a more or less perpetual headache from the heavy folds and also to make swift photographs from between them. The faithless Abdullah had taught us one thing at least, to hide our cameras and notebooks with more care. Sayed Salah's house was like the maze at Hampton Court. However often I went in, I do not think I should ever be able to find my way out again. A resplendent person with a dark green cloak, much braided in gold, flung over his khaki uniform, met us in the second court, where we left our soldiers to be royally feasted in one of the rooms leading off it. After that I counted three more courts and five passages before Mohammed and Yusuf were spirited away to their separate banquet. Still, our guide went on past various pairs of yellow shoes discarded at several entrances. At last, after two more yards and several passages, we entered the central court with broad, matted, and carpeted verandas running along two sides. Hastily removing our shoes, we went to meet our stately host, who beamed his welcome and waved us across the wide space between the arches into a long high room whose walls seemed to be entirely hung with clocks, barometers, thermometers, and other such objects. I cannot tell how many instruments there were, but I counted fifteen clocks, 
most of them going. At either end was a row of the huge painted carved chests that the great folk carry on their long caravan journeys, and in most of the alcoves, which were hung with rugs, were tea caddies of every size, shape, and color. A large pianola bore reels of Pagliacci and Carmen. Thick, dark carpets were piled on the matted floor, with rows of stiff cushions around the walls. But the thing that interested me most, after the meager rations of our journey, was the fringed scarlet cloth in the center of which reposed a round tray laden with food and flanked with all sorts of bowls and bottles. Our host wished us good appetite, Bilhana, Bilshifa, with pleasure and help. He then vanished, and a slave lifted an exquisite silver and brass ewer to pour water over our hands into its companion bowl with a fretted cover. Another brought minute cups of black coffee, strongly flavored with red pepper. Then we sank, cross-legged beside the tray, wide-eyed with wonder at the array before us. Arab hospitality is prodigious. Everyone gives of his best, but only a very great man could provide the Arabian Nights feast which was offered us. It brought back memories of Sayyid Rita's marvelous dinners at Jedabia especially as it was to him and to Sidi Idris that we owed our welcome in Kufara, the most loyal and devoted of all the Libyan oases, for it is the keynote of the Senussi faith. I heard Hassanine repeating rapidly the vital points of the speech he intended to make to the Kaimakan concerning our return journey, and I almost shook him. Never mind those details now, I exclaimed. How long do you think they will leave us alone with this food? There were twelve dishes of lamb, cooked in different rich sauces, with a monster bowl of strange oddments, which I imagine also belonged to the private life of a sheep, floating in rich gravy. There were a score of poached eggs on silver plates, and fifteen vegetables and green sticky mouths of mulukia, which hid all sorts of intricate delicacies. Then there were bowls of curdled milk, which I had begun to like, or powdered mint leaves, and of an unknown liquid which I thought was sweet-scented vinegar, with bottles of water because the Senussi law forbids strong drinks. When he paused for a breath, a slave brought us another bowl, this time of bitter lemon juice, to renew our appetites, and when at last these failed, a second cup of the peppered coffee appeared before the ceremony of washing hands and mouth in the carved ewer. Then fly whisks were given us, and we leant against the hard, stiff cushions, feeling beautifully replete, until our host joined us, and we did business in the Oriental fashion, while he made three series of tea, the first bitter, the second scented, and the third with mint. He had an elaborate silver tea set spread before him, and he warmed the teapot himself on a little brazier, while we skirted around the subjects nearest our hearts, approaching, retreating, avoiding obstacles or shadows of such, and winning his obvious approval by the tactful way we left the matter of our future travels in his hands. As I regretfully relinquished my third empty glass, a slave poured scent over me, strong and sweet, and another offered me a silver incense burner over whose warm, perfumed smoke I might dry my scent-drenched hands. In all the generous-hearted East, I had never met with this last pretty custom before. When the due proportion of business for a first visit, a very minute amount, it would appear to Americans, 
had been discussed we bade farewell to our host and returned to our cool house on the cliff since i said this was a day of food let me add immediately that about midday the delightful wakil appeared with an enormous basin of cusco about two feet in diameter on top of it reposed most of the jaw of a sheep and the whole mass was encircled by a continual line of sausages and a phalanx of hard-boiled eggs now if there is one thing on earth i love it is cusco but for once i looked at it almost indifferently Hassanine suggested various desperate remedies such as instantly walking around the wadi but i would not be parted from my cusco i looked at it lovingly and after a violent argument with farage over the possibility of heating a quart or two of water for a bath found energy enough to eat a pathetic little hole in one side of the flowery mess the climax to our day was at sunset when we were summoned to another huge banquet at the house of the ever-hospitable Sidi Sala, who was determined to honor the Sayed's guests by every means in his power. The memory of that last meal is somewhat blurred, but I believe the center dish was the larger part of a sheep on a mountain of rice, flanked by bowls of hot, very sweet milk. As we waited for our host to join us in order tactfully to brush the antenna of business, I complimented Hassanine on the thoroughness with which he had assimilated the grave, aloof dignity of a sheik el-alim. He looked at me blankly. It is not dignity, it is torpor, he said. Of course, there were other moments in the day. The most delightful little person, about nine years old, came to see us after we returned from the Kaimakan's morning feast. He had the largest and most velvety brown eyes, surrounded by a thick fringe of curly lashes with a faint shadow of coal to accentuate their beauty. A prince, and the son of a prince, little Sidi Omar had all the dignity of his race. He was garbed in a long purple silk jadalbiya, opening over a rose-colored embroidered jubba, while his little pale face was framed in a miniature white kufia under a purple tarbush. He insisted on accompanying us as we wandered around the sacred village, giving us grave advice. Sitkarija, cover your face now, he would say, as the snowy trappings of a bulky ekwan appeared at an unsuspected door. Or, Sidi Ahmed Bu Hassanain, you must salute so-and-so. He is the son of so-and-so. From the edge of the cliff, where the last houses almost overhung the steep descent, there was a glorious view of the whole wadi. One could stroll east of Taj and look across pale sands, broken by green of barley and wheat, to the lake amidst the palms and the narrow end of the valley where the hills close in. One could gaze straight south over the Sayed's gardens to the solid walls of Jaff, rising in tiers on slight mounds, with a famous ancient Zawiya standing a little apart, and in the far distance the line of Zurich's palms where a wide break in the guardian dunes gave a glimpse of flatter sands. To the west, the view was limited only by one's eyesight. A few large, isolated houses lay beside the great mass of palms, which swept around the second streak of blue water beside a dry salt marsh, and away, ever widening to the far horizon, where lay Tolab and Tolib in a dark blur, as the valley ran beyond the strangely luminous hills. When we started to stroll down one of the steep defiles that lead from the rocky tablelands to the smooth sands below, 
Sidi Omar's brilliant smile disappeared. Do not go down alone, he urged. The Zuyas are bad people. Perhaps some of them will ask you questions. Why have you come into their country and for what business? Therefore, we stayed that day on the plateau, and I took many photographs beneath the shadow of my heavy draperies. For once I was grateful to the Moslem veil, for Hassanayn used tactfully to lure our companions away to look at a view, and I would wander shyly and slowly with the uncertain gait of the harem women to the desired point of vantage, whip out the 3A Kodak from my enormous sleeve, and snap some aspect of the enchanted valley before aimlessly straying back. I risked a lightning snapshot at the main block of the Zawiya while Hasadine greeted a learned sheik, but I felt it was dangerous because there were a few students lingering around the door beside the round tower in the wall, and they must have seen the flash of the lens between the white folds of my girdled jerd. End of chapter 10